Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you sustain yourself and your wealth for 30 plus years. On today's show, we're going to be discussing a CPA's take on the strength of the market, also the three phases of a real estate investor and why this last phase matters. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Brian Evans, CEO and president of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Hey, Brian, how you doing today? Well, I'm doing just great. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to hear that, Brian. I certainly hope our listeners are doing well today, too. We've got a lot to talk about on today's show. Brian, according to the Federal Reserve, the U.S. loan market is shrinking rapidly. Apparently, there is a similar pattern with what's going on today when compared to 2000 and 2008 and so on. How does this play a factor in economic growth? And should we be concerned about a tightening loan market, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that go into the analysis of economy and, and so forth. But what I found interesting is, you know, history is meant to repeat itself very often. Certainly, we're always in a different market than we had been historically. But there are a lot of concerns out there right now about interest rates and what that might mean for borrowers, not only just consumers. You think about consumers and with interest rates going up, you know, you bought a car, you bought a house. We'll talk about this later about, you know, leveraging. And and all of a sudden, uh, you never anticipated that your interest rate would double on you. And now that puts a whole new spin on things. Well, businesses tend to, much like the government, businesses tend to borrow a lot of money as they expand, as they grow, as they acquire other firms. And when that cost of capital goes up, then that can have a, a wave through the economy. And then on top of that, just federal government having to, uh, you know, they anticipate their tax revenue, they anticipate their expenditures, they always want to spend more money, it seems like. And then they go, oh, we just got the bill on the interest. <laughs> the interest is going up. And when we borrow new money, which they're, they're always doing, that interest is going up. So now the money they had projected to spend on other things is going to interest. And so we have this ripple going on. Uh, it's interesting as I, I look at standards for, for making loans over the, the last several decades, the standards have gone way up. It's mm -hmm. harder to get loans right now. And the only other times it was this hard, which is kind of alarming, was at the start of the dot-com drop, at the start of the real estate drop, 2007, COVID, and now. So it's kind of unnerving when you're looking at a graph and you go, oh, when were the bad times? Hmm, hmm. dot-com, <laughs> 2008, banking crisis, COVID, oh, now. So when I'm looking at this going, oh, okay, now we're being alerted that we might have some issues. And with interest rates up, the other interesting thing I've seen is that banks are aware of this too. I'm not the only person to look at these, these graphs and so forth. And they are coming out with the loans that they're making relative to what they're paying for the money that they're getting to make these loans, their profit margin is at very high level. Uh, the spread is huge right now. So they're not paying as much to acquire money to lend out, but they're lending it out at very high rates because you know there's the default risk. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to cover their rear sides by making sure they have plenty of cushion, which again, hurts the economy. So there's a lot of ripple effects of all of this. Maybe this kind of like you know drinking through a fire hose. And I think mm -hmm. any analysis of the economy sometimes gets that way, but there are some warning signs out there, and I, I did want to talk about them today. Brian, I get loan offers all the time for my personal small business, and there's no lack of those things coming in. But as you said, they want to make loans at 29 30 35% interest rates. I would imagine that when businesses have to borrow money and it's at those exorbitant interest rates, that that's really going to affect whether a business is able to continue to operate. 
Yeah, or just even to expand. I mean, we're probably going to see defaults go up. Obviously, when interest rates go up so much, I mean, think about it. I was looking at a, a credit fund. A credit fund is something that we can invest in where pooling money is, is lent out to businesses, successful businesses, and security is taken from that business's stock. And I was looking at the individual loans because me and my clients are going, how can they pay us so much? Why is the yield so high on these? And then I look at the individual loans and they're loaning them out at prime plus six, prime plus 5.75. Mm-hmm. And when prime is, is high and you realize, gosh, these, these companies are paying 10 plus percent I mean, big successful companies, 10 plus percent to borrow money. Well, back when they, you know, a few years ago, when they were thinking about doing that, they certainly didn't anticipate that they would be having to pay this much. But, you know, businesses, when they're borrowing money, they're usually borrowing based on a plan that was put together years ago. Years ago, the plan did not include interest rates being as high as they are. Now, we're going to see this ripple, I think, throughout a lot of our industries. I, I was up at a very expensive housing development, and I see all these houses for sale, kind of the luxury home market, because that's dried up. People can't sell their house to buy the other house. They can't finance anymore and afford the mortgage payment because the rates have gone up. So you see all these houses that are for sale. And at the same time, I, I see dozens of housing starts that are midway. And I'm thinking to myself, these poor contractors, yeah. they got nailed again. This happened in 2008. It, it's happened before where everything looks so rosy. So let's go out. I'm All my projections look good. My spreadsheets say I'm going to make a lot of money. Housing prices are going up. Interest rates are low. I'm in great shape. And now they're trying to hold on to these houses paying exorbitant interest rate just to hold. Their profit's gone, even if they could sell, which they won't be able to. It's almost it's like watching a wreck in slow motion. I mean, it's just, it's really scary out there. And so we're seeing warning signs of this. And these kinds of things will ripple through because we weren't prepared for this. We weren't prepared not only for the inflation and interest rates go up so high so quickly, but we just weren't prepared with our plans, our future plans. You know, if we'd known all this, and then you can plan ahead and so forth. But, you know, you see all these cranes building office buildings and you go, hmm, <laughs> you know that that was put into play 10 years ago or five years ago before we had COVID, before we had high interest rates, before we had the Fed trying to kill the economy to lower inflation. Well, that's having ripple effects too. That's that's really going to hurt businesses, which is their intent, uh, which sounds crazy, but it is. And uh, we're seeing these ripples go through the economy. We've all seen these trucks on the road, Yellow Corp, and I was really surprised, Brian, to see that Yellow Corp has uh, gone under, which could be due in part to the higher interest rates and more difficulties in getting a loan. But you talked about ripple effects. What are some of the other financial patterns that we should be aware of, do you think? Yeah, one of the other things is uh, credit card debt is at historic highs now, too. And now with interest rates going up and people having less money to spend because they're spending more on because of inflation on other things just to get by. And so debt is going up. Savings is going down. The free money that was pumped into the economy during COVID is essentially spent. It's gone. It's not coming back. People kind of got used to that. And when all this happens, you know, our economy is 70% consumer driven. When consumers can't go out and buy, you know, discretionary items because they're needing to survive and, and pay their rent. Oh, by the way, my rent just went up. In fact, my sons, they have a house and, and it was just a few years ago, it was $1,800 and mm. now it's $2,800 wow. for them yeah. to rent. Right. And I'm like, whoa, wait a second here, a 50% increase in just three years, three, four years. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that they're not getting. 50% increases at their job, <laughs> wherever they are. Can you imagine going to your boss saying, yeah, my expenses went up 50%. Can I have a 50% raise? And <laughs> look at you go, what? <laughs> so yeah, this ripple effect does go through. So they're tightening of the belt and all of that. But yeah, it goes all the way up to corporations. As I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're going we're gonna to see default risk go up. Defaults are going to happen. We haven't been seeing defaults hardly at all for years. So now they're going to have to factor that into lending. That will keep rates high too. So you got the government kind of created the inflation. Now the Fed is trying to 
kill inflation by killing the economy. And that ripple effect uh, means, that, again, that banks have to be more careful. I'm seeing this on the graphs I'm looking at here. And they're going to have to charge more to lend money out because defaults are going up. And on and on and on it goes. And it's just, it's a very scary time when you're thinking about the overall economy as it relates to different things that we're doing. So it's it's just, it's just so important. You know, we, we harp on it on this show to make sure you take that into account. Because what I'm also seeing out there is that investors' confidence in the stock market's way up. Right. Well, that's because the market's been going up. And everybody feels like, well, I'm an expert. And this just keeps going, right? And how many times have we seen this? I mean, just a couple of years ago or a year ago, we thought, oh, housing prices, they just go up, 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 up. Oh, until they don't. Oh, and, and you know, the, the interest rates are low and, and, and they aren't. And stock markets go up, 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 and then you buy, and they go, until it's not. Mm. And so we see this repeating pattern over and over and over of over-exuberance. You know, we, everybody feels like, wow, the market's up. I better, you know, if you're missing out, I better get in. I better get in. I better move everything into the market. I don't want to miss this. And that's usually the worst time you can pick to do that. Brian, you talked about the dot-com crash, the housing crisis, COVID-19. If retirement is supposed to last 30 years or sometimes 30-plus years, can we expect these sort of things to come along regularly? Absolutely, yes. There isn't a time where we don't have issues. You you can go back over 100 years. Tell me the, the times where we don't have problems with the economy, problems with the stock market, problems with whatever it is out there. We will continue to have this kind of stuff. So that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, you, you hear these stories when the market dropped last year about people going back to work and, and their retirement got you know upended the first year out and their investments dropped all this money in the stocks and bonds and maybe they put a bunch into crypto and a bunch into tech stocks and just uh, wrote it down. They're going, wait a second here. I just lost a quarter of my career, essentially, of, of savings in the first year out of retirement. So you, you hear these stories and, well, they aren't people that went through our process. <laughs> frankly. If you know that these things can and will happen, then you project for that and you invest for that and you take the steps that are necessary so you can have a successful retirement. And if you didn't do that, well, then now you start reading these stories. So yes, Jeff, uh, answer your question. We will have problems. In fact, you know, it's it's kind of an easy call. I, I, remember, I remember seeing this old clip from Ronald Reagan where he was complaining about the debt, the national debt, mm -hmm. because it was $50 billion. With a B. And now we're at, <laughs> you know, 30-something trillion, whatever it is. Yeah. Trillions. And it's 500 times what it was. And we're not fixing that anytime soon, as far as I can see. We've got conflicts. Uh, we got other countries, China and, and, and so forth, that I absolutely think is going to be a problem going forward. We're going to have problems. There's going to be wars. You know, we look at our own economy, and just this last week, we saw the U.S. get downgraded, downgraded on their debt. The whole world uses the U.S. debt, and I'm looking at this going, oh my gosh, we've got some serious problems when the U.S. is being downgraded by the ratings agencies. And so that's going to increase the cost of borrowing. That's going to increase the cost of the government because they're going to have to pay higher interest to borrow money by selling bonds to fund all the programs that they can't pay for. So yeah, uh, bottom line, Jeff, yeah, we're going to have problems going forward. And it's imperative for a successful retirement to plan ahead, knowing that that is going to happen, not have an irrational exuberance eternally every year thinking, oh, the market's going to go up, up, up. My real estate's going to go up, up, up. Everything I own is just going to continue to go up until it doesn't. And so we need to plan ahead knowing that that's going to happen multiple times during our successful retirement. And Brian, I'm willing to wager based on our conversation today about the problems that we're facing that a lot of people do have questions about how to proceed with their retirement plan to make sure that it's going to last 30 plus years and that these bumps in the road are not going to have a big effect. We've said many times on this program that these bumps in the road should not be a life altering event, but just a minor annoyance. So if you want a comprehensive retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years, built by financial advisors and see I want you to call this number. It's 833-673-7373. You can call it right now so that you can take the first step and request your Madrona 30-point analysis. Now, if you're feeling that something is off with your plan, your retirement plan, and your portfolio, 
I want you to call that number 833-673-7373 and request your 30-point analysis. There's no cost to that. There is no obligation whatsoever. You must have at least $500,000 of investable assets to qualify for the Madrona 30-point analysis, but those who do qualify will be able to enjoy this conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique and individual situation so you can adjust your financial plan and strategy to help avoid unnecessary stress during your retirement. And as a bonus, we'll send you out a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. So I invite you to do it today. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. It's a 30-point analysis that could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30-plus years. I'll repeat that number again, 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. Brian, we've always heard that the stock market is a place to grow, but you know, the stock market can certainly be volatile. We have learned that. I mean, as an investor in stock, should we just ride this roller coaster up and down or what are some of the other alternatives, do you think? Yeah, I, I do want to talk about alternatives because I think a lot of people listen and they go, well, you know, I know stocks go up and down, but, you know, I'll just stick with that and uh, I'll do it myself. You know, the do-it-yourself kind of investor. And why do I need to hire a, a financial advisor when when I, I can watch CNBC? I can read the Wall Street Journal. I can do all this. I can go online. I have an E-Trade account. What do I need anybody else's help for? Well, one of the things that I wanted to reiterate uh, from prior shows here is that most of the things that I'm talking talking about to protect you from a market that could be devastating your retirement, you cannot get on your own as a do-it-yourself investor. You're just not allowed to. The SEC doesn't allow you to go out and purchase many of the products that we need to use, many of the tools. It's like, you know, back to our tool analogy, uh, you want to build a house, but you're not allowed to to use particular tools to do it with. So how are you going to be able to do that properly? You can have some semblance of a house, but you can't do it correctly. So some of the tools that you cannot buy on your own, whether they be fixed annuities, indexed annuities for lifetime cash flow or protected growth, universal life, either for tax-free death benefit or tax-free cash flow in your retirement, Delaware statutory trusts to get out of investment real estate, without paying the income tax and diversify and and quit being a landlord, opportunity zone investments, structured notes, private equity, private non-traded debt REITs, uh, and so forth and so on. There's, There's all these areas that we tend to use for our clients that you have to, again, go through a licensed financial advisor that actually works in these areas too. You know, most of the stuff I just named off, if you go to your typical advisor, go to the strip mall or the, or the big box, they're going to look at you and go, well, we don't do that, but we'll give you stocks and bonds. I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, that's the one thing I can do on my own. Why do I need you for that? (laughs) And so, you know, I'm telling you, there's a lot of things that we want to do outside of stocks and bonds because every investment has its purpose. There's basically six main areas you can put your money. There's cash and cash equivalents, the bond market, which is very suspect right now with uh, interest rates uh, going up, the stock market, you've got insurance company products, passive real estate, and alternative investments. And so, yes, you can go out and buy stocks and bonds on your own, but do they accomplish your goals? Well, depends on what your goal is. If you're 40 years old or 30 years old, maybe they do. But most of the people we're working with are looking at retirement planning. So in retirement planning, I ask people this all the time. There's three things that an investment can easily do. There's five potential. We'll focus on three in retirement. It can grow, it can provide cash flow, or it can be secure. I cannot do all three with one investment. Now, most people in retirement say, well, my order would be, I, I gotta live. So I think cash flow is my most important. I don't wanna go back to work, so security be second. And I've had growth, but I don't need it as much now that I'm retired. So growth would be third. And it's like, okay, well, stocks are really good at the one you care about the least, <laughs> potentially, long-term growth. But they're not really good at cash flow, and they're not really good at security. So if you're trying to build a successful retirement with cash flow and security and you're using the wrong tool for that, putting it all in the stock market, then you're pulling money out of your stock market investments and then the sequence of return risk can bite you. That's where the, the market drops, you're pulling money out, you're never going to put that back in to get the recovery back. And so that is a terrible idea for most people long term 
to just put all your money in the market while you're pulling money out of the market. I hope your timing's good. If it's good, then it'd be great. If it's not good, you're going back to work. I don't think we want to hear that when we're doing our retirement planning. So we have to use different kinds of tools for that. And the do-it-yourself investor isn't doesn't have access to that, as I mentioned. So it's very important that we look at proper financial planning, understanding what we're trying to accomplish, and then which tools are best for that job. And I'm not saying stock market's bad. It can be very, very good long-term if you're not pulling money out of it and subjecting yourself to sequence of return risk. So if there's a percentage that you're comfortable with in the market, then that can be absolutely a, a part of this plan, the growth part. But we got to address the cash flow and security too. And I have heard many times over the years, I mean, I think it started with the old shop teacher there, use the right tool for the job. But if you don't have the right tools, what do you do? And I think that's the advantage of using an advisor such as yourself is that there is a, a very large toolbox at Madrona Financial and CPAs. So you're bound to have the tool that is going to help people build that house that you can live in for 30 plus years. Brian, we've talked about a lot of things on the show today, and I'm sure our listeners are looking for some guidance there. What is the first step that our listeners should take or someone who's interested in a 30-point analysis or a comprehensive retirement plan? Yeah, I just had a conversation with somebody this week, a long-term client, parents passed away and is inheriting a bunch of money, more than they, they had total up to that point. And so we're talking about, okay, now it's time to retire. And what does this look like? And he was kind of overwhelmed by everything. And, and certainly there, there's a lot of variables, but we were able to kind of break it down uh, because the first thing we want to know is, well, what do you want? And so as I'm talking to him, I'm here, okay, I hear that you want to retire. I hear your wife wants to retire. I hear that you don't want to have to worry. I, I hear that you need to know how much you can spend each year in retirement. I hear that you don't want to go back to work, and I hear you're worried about our political system and what that means for the U.S. going forward. So a lot of things came out just in our, our talk. But the first step was that I said, well, I'm going to send you a questionnaire, and it'll take less than an hour to fill out. And it's going to ask you questions on a scale of 1 to 10, what, you, what keeps you up at night kind of thing. And then what are your assets, what, what you're spending, and what, you know, so forth like that. But what are your goals? How important are, are different things to you? And so we send that out. So again, it's, it's less than an hour. They, they fill it out and send it back to us. And then we can start our analysis. If they become a client, we'll run them through the 30-point analysis of everything uh, having to do with what a successful retirement can look like. But, you know, we started talking about investments. He's like, well, I'm kind of overwhelmed by the investments. I said, really, it's we can break this down because I've, I've got enough information. We did a financial plan for him. I was able to see what the future looked like, how much he could spend, where our problem areas were, how to fix them. And so I plugged all that stuff in there. And in the end, there is the one variable. It's like, most people have a, a feel for how much they're comfortable with in the market because I can work around that. If, if he, he was to say, well, I'm okay with half in the market, but I'd like half not subject to the, the whims of the market, the ups and downs. Great. I can work with that. I can take the other and put it into many of these areas I talked about to add security, cash flow for life, better cash flow from various other kinds of investments you know, the cash flow and, and security areas that I talked about that the stock market doesn't do very well. And there's no right or wrong answer to this. Well, there might be wrong answer. Wrong answer might be zero in the market or, or 100% in the market. That might be the wrong answer. But generally, people have a sense for where they think they are okay with the market. And once I kind of have that and it aligns with the questionnaire and our conversations and all this is in alignment, then we can get a sense, okay, I think we're in the right place here. So let's say in this example, 50% was the number. We will do the rest of the work. We'll put together the mix of diversified investments from that point forward. The stock portfolio will be very light on bonds. We'll have liquidity through maybe insurance company products offering liquidity at various stages in our retirement. We'll have security, we'll have lifetime cash flow, we'll have real estate, we'll have credit funds, we'll have all these different things in there so that whatever happens in the market, uh, whether we go through very turbulent times or not, that we can have a successful retirement. So those are the steps. So when you break it down again, just to summarize, when somebody says, well, what do I do? I said, well, we'll send you a questionnaire. It'd take you less than an hour. And then, you know, as we get to know each other, if we think it's a good fit and we want to move forward, then we'll take you through the 30-point analysis and we'll take you through a mix of assets and investments that will get you to where we need to be. And we can do all of that through our communicating with you and getting to know you and finding out what you want. 
And once we know what you want, then we can work together with you to provide you with the help to have a successful retirement. Brian, for our listeners who want that 30-point analysis, very simple to get that. Call 833-673-7373 so you can discover additional ways to potentially improve your quality of life for 30-plus years. Once again, that number, 833-673-7373. No cost and no obligation whatsoever. We're going to take a quick break, Brian. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the three stages of a real estate investor, and the last phase really does matter. All that and more when our show continues. Stay with us. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And this segment, we're going to be talking about the three stages of a real estate investor. And Brian, I saw a tweet, if that's what you still call it these days, and it said, I met a 22-year-old cop at a bar. He owns three Airbnbs in a remote part of Massachusetts that he financed with an adjustable rate mortgage at 2.75% in 2021. Now, he only put 3% down. Then all the comments that I read were expressing concern for this seemingly successful real estate investor. I mean, what is wrong with this picture? Well, there's uh, a couple things wrong, a couple things right, and so we'll kind of go through it. So when we, I talk about um, real estate investing, a lot of people, their timing was just awesome. They bought at a good time, markets went up, real estate prices went way up, and they feel like, well, I'm pretty much a genius. You know, I invested a little bit of money and, and leveraged that into a big win, and that's what happened. Now, is that going to be the case going forward? Well, I don't know. As a lot of us depends on timing because when, when you get into uh, real estate, it's a business and businesses can fail. Businesses can succeed depending on, on your management, your timing, your financing, many different aspects. So the first thing that this person did right or wrong was leverage, uh, lots of leverage, 3% down. I'm not sure how he got 3% down on rentals because generally right. banks require a much higher down payment. Mm-hmm. So somehow he did. So the bank's taken all the risk here. So I'd say that was something that was done right, because even if this goes south, this person doesn't sound like they have a lot in there. I, I Again, I, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe someone got in three rentals for 3% down this 22 years old, but let's assume that it was 20% down or, or even higher for rentals. It typically is. Hmm. There's a lot of money going in, but leveraging, you know, using other people's money, OPM, it can be a good thing for a business. And I just mentioned this is a business. If you have adequate cash flow. So now we're looking at this and going, all right, generally speaking, when you buy rentals, you're underwater. You do not have adequate cash flow. The cash flow from rentals is not going to be sufficient to make your mortgage payment, property taxes, insurance, repairs, and everything else. So you have to self-fund that. As a 22-year-old, in this case, a policeman, then I got a problem because I don't think I have a lot of excess cash flow coming. I don't think that person's at the top of their wage scale. So anytime that anything goes wrong, a tenant moves out, a repair has to happen now i'm trash unless he has a big inheritance or you know had a lot of money from somebody somewhere somehow but most 22 year olds do not so there's the other problem is is in this business of owning rentals cash flow would kill this person uh, essentially the other part of that example is it's an airbnb so now we don't have reliable cash flow in a remote area i can't count on that cash flow coming in uh, i have to count on that going on that the airbnb being popular they kind of ebb and flow too. And also I've seen uh, regulations change on Airbnbs depending on where you're at. So that can be an issue too. The other thing is the time involved. Uh, Airbnb is very active. That's a lot of work. You got a new tenant every week. I mean, pretty much. I mean, that can be an issue as opposed to just renting out to somebody and having them pay you every month. So I see all kinds of issues here. Now, uh, again, there's this tweet or whatever we call them these days. Right. The 3% down jumped out at me as not possible probably. And and so maybe this person isn't taking a lot of risk if this actually was a case. But I'm going to guess uh, I'm going to replace that variable with a uh, 30% down, not 3%. 
And now I'm saying, wow, this person took max, max risk. Better hope that value of that went up. But then it jumps out of me. It was purchased in 2021. So anybody buying real estate in 2021 probably paid top dollar. Remember how everybody was paying way over ask price and there mm-hmm. were bidding wars and all that? So now we got that problem. The person's probably way in the hole as far as equity. Probably would walk away from this loan. The bank would have to take it back. So yeah, on the surface, it sounded great. You know, what a great start to investing for this person. But uh, I think I just <laughs> ripped that one apart for this poor fella. <laughs> Brian, one of the things that jumped out at me about this particular man's situation is that he used an adjustable rate mortgage of 2.75%. Can you comment about adjustable rate mortgages? I mean, would there have been a better way to go with this? Yeah, I left that part out. If it wasn't bad enough already, now we've got a situation where an adjustable rate mortgage, depending on how long it is, whether it's three years, five years, seven years, yeah, you got in at 2.75%. The numbers work okay. Uh, not great during that time, but what about when they, they jump up to 7.75% or whatever, and he's paying another 5% of the value just in interest? Well, that's going to happen, and that's, uh, again, what is really going to put this person under. When I talked to people during that time period, I was really begging them to, to fix their, their rate. We'd never seen rates so low. And, and it's a teaser rate. Yeah, 2.75. You know, well, gee, the fixed rate's 3.75. I, I'm going to get 2.75. No, you're only going to get it for a little while. And then it's going to jack up and there's nothing you can do and you're going to ruin the investment because you got a little greedy. Lock in when you can get a, a fixed rate loan for long term at a reasonably really low rate, which we had, we certainly had there available in 2021 in this example. Lock that in. So big Big mistake was made by going with the teaser rate. Probably went with the teaser rate just to make the numbers work at all. And now, of course, this is this is doomed from the start <laughs> because of many of the reasons I already mentioned, but especially because of that adjustable rate in the mortgage. Brian, let's assume that the mortgage rate would have been today's fair market rate. Let's say it's six and a half, seven percent. I mean, should he have really counted on that instead of the teaser rate and made the numbers work on that rather than just you know what looks good on paper? may not look good a year from now. Yeah, no, I I think uh, we couldn't be expected to know what was going to happen with interest rates. But again, locking in a fixed rate and then doing your analysis and saying, okay, what are my what ifs? What could go wrong? And and making sure I've got that covered. What if Airbnbs aren't as popular? What if I have big repair bills on these rentals? Some of those what ifs. And that's what we do with financial planning, frankly. We do go through these what ifs because we know everything's not going to work out great. Gosh, here was a guy that got in and everything seemed awesome in 2021. I got this low interest rate. Rates are going to stay low. I hardly have any down payment. Airbnb's taking off. Prices are going up, up, up. I can't see anything wrong with this. Well, I could equate that to the stock market today. Wow, the stock market, the tech stocks went up, up, up. I feel pretty good. Everything's up this year. I'm doing great. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong with my (laughs) stock market investments? Well, what could possibly go wrong with this real estate investor? Uh, Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And we're we're just talking two years ago. This is this example is 2021. It's 2023 right now. And everything that could go wrong went wrong. Prices dropped. Rates are gonna went way up. Airbnb wasn't awesome. Uh, he paid too much for it. And you know, all this stuff that, that went on. We we can equate that to any part of the retirement planning. So as we look at real estate investing, which is what we're talking about right now, there are a lot of things to look at. And I've seen too many people go, they've come to me and they said, yeah, I'm going to get into real estate. Really? Okay. Tell me about that. Well, I see everybody making money on real estate. Okay. Do you know anything about real estate? No, no. Do you know how to buy? Well, no. Are you good at fixing them up? Not really. I'm not very handy. I'm going to hire that all that out. What are you bringing to the table? Well, nothing. I, I just know people make money on real estate. <laughs> well, this is a business. I, you know, I'm not going to go start a business I don't know anything about, you know, retail shops, selling whatever. I'm like, I don't know anything about that. I'm not going to do that. And I would recommend people that don't know anything about real estate, maybe being an active landlord isn't the best thing. If you don't know how to buy right, manage property right, fix it, have a plan, all this stuff that if you're just buying it off the shelf thinking you're going to make money, well, you might. You might get lucky. A lot of people did over the last couple of decades. But I would hope you do your research and make sure it makes sense. There are ways to get into real estate without having to be the landlord. 
private non-traded equity REITs. You can get out of being a landlord, obviously, with the Delaware Statutory Trust. There are ways to invest in real estate, private equity, different things you can do that can get you there without taking all the risk that this person did in this example. But yeah, what could go wrong? <laughs> and we have to put that into our plans. We, right, we can't right. say, boy, this year the stock market's been awesome. Let's just project 10% increase every six months for the rest of my life. And I'll give you a spreadsheet saying you're going to be worth $30 million by the time you die. Well, it's not going to work out that way. And we have to anticipate that things are going to go wrong, even where we don't even know what they are. We have to anticipate that. That's why we use the different tools in the toolbox knowing that things are going to go wrong. I just can't tell you what they are today, Jeff. Mm -hmm. I just know they're going to happen. And so we have to prepare for that. And that's a very good point, figuring out what could go wrong. And Brian, I know that you have been a real estate investor in the past. You've owned some rental properties. And really, there are things that could go wrong that you never even thought about. I would never think that there were people or tenants that would move into your house who would fail to have a shower curtain. I mean, that seems like a basic thing, but you had that happen. The floors were all wet. Well, then you a shower curtain? Oh, we don't have one. But that was a real life story, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I had to replace the floors. The floors are all squishy. Cause, yeah. Because their shower curtain fell down or whatever, and they never put it back up. Yeah, I had two where they had great history and all that stuff, and, and they moved in my house and both decided to become addicted to drugs and yep. trash the place. Sure. I'm like, hmm, I, I didn't anticipate that. I didn't. I don't know what it is about my houses that makes you want to do drugs, but <laughs> I thought I fixed them up pretty nice. Well, the, the thing, I put all this money, I fixed them up nice, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a good landlord. I'm going to give him a really nice house and new carpets and paint and all this stuff. And then you get the house back six months later and they completely trashed it. And you look at your, the rents you received during those six months, you go, that wasn't even enough to pay for the repairs. I would have been better off just having an empty house mm-hmm. than, than renting it uh, on several occasions. That's when I knew I'm in the wrong business. I am lousy at being a landlord. I help people get out of being a landlord now. I, that's the right business for me. Delaware Statutory Trust for really real estate investors, the wrong business for me was being an active landlord. And especially today, I, I, I can't even imagine the, just the thought of being an active landlord is, you know, just, I'd rather have my teeth pulled in <laughs> without, a, without Novocaine. I mean, it's just, I do not want to do that. And there's the misconception too, that all real estate goes up in value. I've heard that they're not making any more. So if I buy rental real estate and I'm an active landlord, it's going to go up and up and up. Is that necessarily true? Oh, gosh, I've seen fortunes lost because of just timing. They bought it in 2006, 2007. They're toast. I, I knew a person that inherited $4 million from her dad and decided to go out and buy 15 houses in Phoenix and was going to be a landlord baron in 2007. And by 2009, all gone, all $4 million equity, poof. All the properties went back to the bank and so just destroyed them. There was no diversification. There was no plan. She wasn't particularly good at real estate, but prices were going up, 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 and wanted to jump on the bandwagon, fear of missing out, and all of that. We see that with stock markets. We see that with Bitcoin. We see that with real estate. We see that with virtually every asset out there. Once it's been going up, 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 people go, oh, I'm going to get rich doing this. And I'm, well, you might want to back up the train there because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. All I can tell you that is happening, though, is you're paying a lot more for that investment now than you would have back, you know, a couple of years ago when you should have been probably been in it instead of buying it when it's at all time high. So we have to be careful about that. And markets are at an all time high right now. They're very high. Uh, they're highly priced based on earnings, especially the growth side of the market. There's still a lot of opportunity on the value side, I would say. But we have to make sure we integrate all the diversification strategies to protect a retirement if you want it to last. And, you know, getting back to our, our topic here on the real estate, there's a lot that can go wrong at the entry point, the phase one of being a landlord. There's a lot that can go wrong on phase two during the landlord's life. Uh, as I just shared some stories with you of my own problems I had when I owned the real estate and the time it took, the consternation and the worry and the phone calls. And every time there's a phone call from the property manager, your, your heart sinks. You go, oh gosh, now what? Shower curtain, huh? What? You know, it's like, <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying? Oh my gosh, you know, and over the time that uh, someone moved into one of my houses, they had a small little dog. And yeah. Said, oh, okay. Well, that small little dog died about two weeks later and they replaced it with a pit bull and the pit Ooh. bull jumped the fence and bit someone. Uh-oh. And then I, I, I got a call saying I'm getting sued. And I'm like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, these things happened to me, and I was just, okay, I don't want to be a landlord anymore. This just is terrible. I know people make money at that. I'm not one of those people, evidently. So I got out of them, and, and certainly, but yeah, owning an uh, investment real estate is a job. It's a business, and so treat it as such would be my advice here. Brian, if our listeners are hearing this and they have real estate, maybe they have investment real estate, it's actively managed real estate, and they want to keep it, how do you incorporate that real estate into their financial plan? Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of clients that decide to keep their real estate. So I'm not just going to sit here and go, oh, if you own investment real estate, you need to sell it and do a DST. No, I'm not going to do that. We're going to look at that. So the first thing we do is analyze what is your cash flow from the real estate. So I want to pull two years of tax returns, look at your Schedule E and figure out fair market values and, and net return after expenses as a percentage of the fair market value. Just make sure that you're getting adequate cash flow. Because that can be a, a big decision tree piece right there. Uh, I was just talking to a client yesterday about that. He has a commercial building, and we figured out he was getting a certain percentage return on that, which was quite good, actually. However, and so I, you know, I told him, well, why don't you just keep it? And he, well, then he kind of started saying, well, a couple reasons I'm worried about it. One is I have a single tenant. It's a warehouse and they're in an industry that's going through a lot of change. I don't know if they're going to be there. And if they move out, my cash flow goes from whatever it was, 5% to negative because I got to pay property tax and insurance and that would kill my retirement. Boy, that was a pretty potent thing to say. Okay, well uh, then, yeah, maybe we should think about uh, that. He also made the interesting comment because he lives uh, in another state, Hawaii, Mm -hmm. and he, he said, you know, much like your business, Brian, you know, being a landlord is 24-7. It's always on your mind. You never get away from it. And I said, well, I get that. I think about my business not just from 8 to 5. I think about it on weekends. I think about it at night. I think about it all the time. It's not the only thing I think about, but it's always there. It never goes away. Same thing with real estate. And he says, I just don't want to do that. And so he was taking tenant risk and, and so forth. So the question was, you know, what do you do with your real estate? Well, the first thing is to analyze what your cash flow is. Is it something that you want to hang on to? Uh, is it something you think fits? If you have multiple pieces of real estate, maybe figure out uh, an ordering of what you want to do with them. Maybe some of them, we need to analyze the gain. Some people say, well, I don't want to be a landlord anymore, but I don't have much of a gain. I said, well, then don't do a DST. Just sell it, pay whatever tax there is, and we can reinvest in a better diversified strategy without as much of your time and involvement. So selling a piece of investment real estate and paying the tax sometimes is the answer. Selling a piece of real estate and doing a partial DST and taking out some cash from it too that you pay tax on, that can be the answer. Uh, There's a lot of things you can do when you have a plan. Now, one of the things that often comes up is I'll I'll meet with people. I've I've got to talk tomorrow with this. I think she's 78 years old and she's got a whole bunch of rental houses and isn't sure what to do with them, knows she doesn't want them anymore. One of the things I recommend on those is as soon as a tenant moves out, that's when you list it for sale. And then we'll do a Delaware statutory trust with that. And over time, uh, you'll have lots of different DSTs in your portfolio and different types of real estate for diversification, different parts of the country. And you can, you know, basically dollar cost average out of your real estate doing that. Or in her case, I think she's just going to list them all and get out because she just doesn't want to be the landlord anymore, which I get. And so some people go uh, all in on that. So there, there's a lot of options you can do with your real estate. But the point of this is there, we're, we're talking about having a plan, an exit strategy for your real estate. We are really good about that. We talk to a lot of people about your business, your business of being a landlord. What is your exit strategy for your business? It doesn't have to be that you have to keep these till the day you die. And it doesn't have to be that you have to sell them all you know, when you come meet us. It's going to be probably something in between. And we're going to help you work through that. What makes sense? What's your gain? What's your cash flow? What would be your replacements? How do you get out of paying tax? Do you want to step up in basis when you leave it to your your spouse or your heirs? What do you want from this real estate investment? And very often it's just, I I don't want to worry about it and I want to have adequate cash flow and I want better diversification. I don't want to pay tax. Great. We're going to have a DST discussion for you then. (laughs) So we definitely would talk to you about them if that's the case. But it may not be the case for everybody. Or you, again, you may have a mixed bag of real estate. Some you love, some you don't love. 
I often ask that. I say, is there anything on here you, you love? And they say, yeah, these two. Yeah, you, you hate. And say, yeah, the other five. Like, okay, let's have a plan for the other five then and keep the two you love, you know, whatever. So we can we can work with you on that to develop that exit strategy for your real estate. And it doesn't have to be today's exit. It could be an exit strategy over five years or 10 years. But just knowing what that looks like, most people don't want to own their investment real estate until the day they die through the last couple of years of their life, which is where their health or their mental or physical health may not be awesome, that usually want to take care of this before then. Brian, I want to continue to talk about these real estate exit strategies. You've talked about the Delaware Statutory Trust, and we'll go into that a little bit more and the 1031 exchange. But the question I have is that there are a lot of people listening to the program who may be home flippers. I mean, they buy these houses specifically to fix them up and then flip them and sell them. Can home flippers, I mean, that's an investment in real estate. Can they use the 1031 exchange? Well, generally not. That's a business. And so 1031 exchanges are for investments in real estate that you're holding where it is your business. Then it goes on Schedule C and it's no longer eligible as an uh, investment property. But I will caution people. I, mean, I, I watch these shows once in a while where, where the home flipper shows on HDTV or whatever. And I always have to chuckle because they go in there and the place is just completely trashed. They're going to replace everything. <laughs> and they get a contractor's estimate of $35,000. Yeah, that's crazy. Silly. Just dumb number. Try to get a kitchen remodel, bathroom, new floors, and a new roof in the Puget Sound for $35,000. Oh, my gosh. You wouldn't even get a half a kitchen for that. I mean, it's it's not going to happen. And so, yeah, they made $5,000 flipping this house. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's because you put in two months of your own time. What's your time worth? Uh, Let me punch it out here. It's worth about six bucks an hour. Okay, if you want a job of six bucks an hour, flip a house. You know, let's be very careful about house flipping. And, and don't believe the numbers you're seeing on HGTV. I, I don't know anybody that's flipping houses and, and really making money. There might be a situation here and there where you're very handy. You're going to live in it. You're going to fix it up, you know, do the work yourself on your own time where it has a reasonable return on investment of your time, which is worth something. But for the most part, I would discourage that. And if you did, it's it's probably not qualifying for 1031 exchange. So what does qualify for a 1031 exchange, Brian, if house flipping does not? Yeah, so a lot of people say, well, why do I do a DST when I can just do a REIT or whatever? And I'm like, well, because REITs don't qualify for 1031 exchange. So you can't, uh, when you sell investment real estate and you want to do a 1031 exchange, you can exchange into another actively managed piece of real estate that you buy. Uh, You sell your property. You have 45 days to identify your replacement property. Good luck with that one. It's difficult to find a really good investment in 45 days that isn't being bid up by other people that you can say, you know, before the 45 days is up, yeah, this is the one I'm going to end up with and hope it passes inspection and hope it goes through bank financing or whatever you need to do to secure that from the date of sale of your of your property. So you can go do that. You can continue to be a landlord. But most people I'm talking to, they've had their share of being a landlord for decades. They, they don't want to be anymore. And so they can go into a Delaware Central trust, which can be multiple properties. Let's say you sell a piece of investment real estate for a million dollars and you say, yeah, I want 250000 in each of four different DSTs. I, I like this apartment DST and this self-storage DST and this uh, a grocery store DST and this net lease DST or student housing, whatever. And so they diversify that way and then they're a, a fractional owner. Is there any other way to do a 1031? Not really. Yeah, again, you can't sell your piece of real estate and go into a REIT or a partnership or an S-Corp or, or other form of ownership and have it qualify for 1031 exchange. So it's either you're going to continue to be an active landlord or you can be passive through a Delaware statutory trust. Very popular, especially with my uh, 60s, 70s, 80-year-old clients. Uh, they love the idea of retiring from being a landlord, diversifying their investments, getting cash flow and newer properties professionally managed by someone other than yourself. You'll never get another phone call or capital call call or anything like that. So they can, that can be a wonderful solution for folks wanting to retire from being a landlord. Well, Brian, I'm sure that people listening to this who own active real estate or they're thinking of an exit strategy certainly may have questions for you there at Madrona Financial and CPAs. So if you do have questions about real estate and your exit strategy, I invite you to call this number. It's 833-673-7373 so you can request your Madrona 30-point analysis. If you're tired of being a landlord, you want out, then I want you to call this number and possibly discover what your life could look like without the stress of your properties. Now, once 
once again, you've got to have at least $500,000 or more in investable assets to qualify for our Madrona 30-point analysis. But those who do qualify will be able to enjoy this conversational analysis intended to dynamically cover a wide range of topics based on your unique situation so that you can proactively adjust your financial planning strategy to help avoid capital gains taxes on the sale of your properties. Now, as a bonus, we're going to be sending you a copy of Brian's book, Seven Steps to a Successful Retirement. When you call, you're going to get a friendly voice on the other end of the line. We'll ask you a couple of basic questions, and then your information will go to our team, who's going to reach out to you within one business day to schedule your 30-point analysis. Now, once again, it's not going to cost you a dime. Totally complimentary, but this 30-point analysis could be just what you need to help uncover several blind spots while improving your overall quality of life for the next 30 plus years. Once again, that number 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. And you can make that call right now. Well, Jeff, let me jump in with, with something that has happened a number of times where somebody I'm talking to about their real estate, they're not necessarily sure why they, they came in. They, they wanted to talk about it because they hear, hear me on the radio and they say, you know, actually it's it's not that bad. I, it's okay being a landlord. I, I don't mind it too much. And I'm not sure why I'm here talking to you about it because I'm probably okay with my properties. And I said, okay, well, that's fine. I'm not here to convince you otherwise, but let me ask you this. If we're having this conversation five years from now or 10 years from now or whatever, pick a number, does your response change? And then very often they're going, oh, gosh, yeah, you know, five years, I, I'm going to have some, I haven't replaced a roof on a couple of my houses. That's going to be really expensive. Price has gone way up on roofing materials and roofers and all of that. I'm probably going to have to spend 60000 on that. Gosh, I've got some health issues right now, and I notice that you know my wife wants to go on more vacations, but I can't get away because I always got to you know I get phone calls as soon as I get on that plane. That's when my phone starts lighting up with with problems from my tenants, and and I really can't get away. And I think about this stuff all the time, and I want to spend more time doing something else. And so they start actually convincing themselves of, gosh, I'm okay today, but in five years, I don't know that I'm going to be okay. I don't think this is going to be awesome, especially when comparing, you know, there's pros and cons to everything. There's pros to keeping that real estate five years, maybe. But what are the cons? What are the pros and cons of a DST now or in the the near future relative to five years or even 10 years? You know, if I'm talking to a 78-year-old and he's going, well, gosh, in five years, I don't know my health, but I'm pretty sure in 10 years I'll be 88. I don't know that I'll be an awesome landlord at 88 or be able to climb that roof and fix the gutter or whatever. I'm like, gosh, I hope not. Maybe we ought to think about making those changes now as opposed to going forward. So often my conversation is not about how things are today. It's about picturing where you want to be in the future, whether it's five-year, 10-year plan, whatever, and creating that exit strategy now, knowing that things change over time. And if you if you know things are inevitably going to change, not for the better, then now might be a great time to have that conversation. Thanks, Brian. I want our listeners to call and request their Madrona 30-point analysis. Don't wait until it's too late. You can pick up the phone right now and dial 833-673-7373. That's 833-673-7373. So you can discover additional ways to potentially improve your quality of life that could last 30-plus years, and particularly if you're interested in real estate. We've been talking about a CPA's take on the strength of the market today and the three phases of a real estate investor and why that last phase, the exit strategy, matters so much. Once again, don't miss the show by subscribing to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans wherever you get your podcast. Brian, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time. Most of all, thank our listeners here in the greater Puget Sound area for listening to us. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.